Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the Leadership and Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and today we are joined by the absolute brilliant Andrew Bruff. Andrew is a leadership development specialist and the author of the book, Leadership, The Exponential Effect. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Michael, really such a privilege to be able to chat to you today. Thanks for having me on the show. No, fantastic. The pleasure is all mine. Um, so usually I would ask, uh, first question is, how did you get into construction? Um, but that isn't applicable in this case. So the purpose of this uh, podcast really is to get to understand how you got into um, leadership and uh, explore what is this uh, leadership the exponential effect it's something it's a concept that i'm not familiar with and uh, i really wanted to understand what that's all about so before we go diving into that i would like to just get an idea of what what, sort of what your background is and how did you get to where you are today in uh, coaching and, and um, being a specialist so i'm talking to you from the garden route of south africa michael uh, just outside neisner uh, i've lived here most of my life originally born in the uk Um, My background was in broadcasting, and then I got into uh, sales and marketing and education and adult education and training and realized that um, if I was going to help people in terms of their sales and marketing, that that would require some very specific training. And then I realized at an organizational level that if you wanted to move organizations, you needed to work with leaders. And so I began a journey about 25 years ago of studying leadership Um, went back to school, did a a master's degree in organizational leadership, and then went on to do a a PhD, and have been fascinated by this interplay between personal, interpersonal, and organizational leadership. I run a leadership institute now, um, and have done for many years, and work with leaders uh, and teams around the world, now with uh, leaders in about 80 different countries. And certainly since uh, the pandemic, that need for virtual or online training Uh, has become much more prevalent. But it was certainly something that we were doing, gosh, uh, with many of our IT clients, uh, probably 13, 14 years ago. My connection with construction is that here in South Africa, I'm part of the faculty of the Association of Quantity Surveyors. So they have to do continuing professional development. And as part of that, I offer a number of programs for the association, which are accredited around leadership and strategy. That's fantastic. And, uh, and the way that, that we sort of connected was around um, the question, which I usually save for the end, but I want to open with it, is what do you think is the most important aspect of leadership? Well, I was so impressed by your question that I couldn't help but reach out to you on LinkedIn and say, well, I've actually put a book out um, on that question and uh, tried to answer what I think is not an easy question at all, Michael. I don't think there is one single element. The research shows us that there there is a bank of competencies or skills or principles that leaders need to have. And so in the book, I try and answer that by looking at four different sections. I look at leading yourself, because I think that really is important. Um, Leading others. So here you're talking about uh, being able to influence your effective communication. Uh, leading teams. So here we have alignment and collaboration, and then ultimately leading for results. And so that exponential effect, I think, is when you have these right leadership elements combined at the right time, and you catalyze those. And often very 
small incremental leadership decisions and actions can have far-reaching effects, uh, both positively and negatively. So that's really the idea that I work with in the book to try and show how uh, very often we assume that it's only people who have position or hierarchy or title that can lead. But certainly, I think in the new world of work, Michael, this idea of influencing without authority and leading from the basis of your skill set, from your expertise, um, from your ability to develop, to develop social capital, all of those things, I think, are going to become increasingly important. And certainly in the construction sector, um, as you look to lead, whether you are you know, building or whether you are managing or whether you're in finance, uh, I do think that those leadership skills are going to become front and center in a uh, in a post-lockdown world. I'm, I'm nervous to talk about a post-pandemic world, seeing as we're still very much in the middle of this thing. But as we navigate this uh, challenge of working across distance, across time zones, um, one of the things that I see, Michael, is we're more connected than ever uh, through technology, but we're probably uh really lacking in that social cohesion and engagement and, and really able to create that environment where people are able to display their best in a very different world to what it was uh, 12 months ago i could not agree with you anymore yeah it's a, the the key thing about the sort of podcast is i always ask um what do you think is the most as uh, important aspect of leadership and every single time um, without prompt, it's a different response. And so every, yeah, I wanted to ask a bit wider. And, and again, I get some really great answers, like things I would have never thought of. And uh, one of my favorites is, is curiosity. I think, you know, leaders being curious is, is very important. Um, and I think that, I think you're right. There is a challenge with leadership. It's because there is no one thing. I think I went into this, I sort of started my journey along discovering what leadership is in about sort of early 2019. Uh, before that, I'd, I'd done some self-development, self-training, and, and I'd seen leaders. So I sort of had an idea, a very vague idea of what leadership was, and very much thought you had to either be a very supportive or directive behave, um, sort of behaviours in terms of that. And start of 2019, when that illusion was shattered and realised this is a heck of a lot more difficult than I expected. That's when I needed to start along this journey of learning it, learning it myself. And um, I think that that's, that's what it just makes it so much more complicated. Well, probably not need, needed to be so complicated, but it is that there are so many attributes, so many behaviours and so many um, key aspects to leadership, which are in its own right, all very important. And perhaps you correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have to be an expert in each area, but you have to at least appreciate each area. Turn on, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think that the days of believing that leaders have to know everything and be experts in everything are long gone. I do think that in this world in which we're working now, Michael, an ability to understand the strengths of the team that you have working with you and playing to those strengths means that you don't have to be this um, this superhero. I think if you if you trace leadership development uh, research over the last 50 or 60 years, we did see in the beginning uh, this tendency towards the, the very charismatic, the very heroic leader, um, this idea that he was almost or she was almost uh, some kind 
aspect of Superman or Superwoman. And I think we've realized that in many cases, it's not necessarily the most extrovert. It's not necessarily the person who is the uh, most talented at a particular uh, uh, skill set or job, but it's that individual who can influence others to achieve an overarching goal. And so in some ways that takes the pressure off the individual having to be all things to all people. But in another way, it creates a greater level of accountability to find those individuals within the team uh, who are going to help you to achieve that. Mm. I think the other thing that's important, Michael, right now is that as organizations are flatter and more matrixed, and I think this is true even in the construction sector, you're probably going to find that you are needing to lead people who are not your direct reports and over whom you have no formal authority, but who you still need to be able to work with in order to get the job done. And so for people who've relied in the past on position only, they're now struggling because why would I listen to you, Michael, if, if you're not my boss? Why would I give you my expertise or my input or share resources if I don't have to? And so that ability to understand how to influence and how to move the needle uh, towards a particular outcome, I think is something we're all going to have to relook at uh, as, as things become even more challenging. I couldn't put it better myself. I think just to pick up on those two points then. So you talk about these leaders, the days of having to know everything are sort of long gone. That I think is one of the struggles that I started off with in that the leadership world I was in, I was almost in a way too competent or too technically competent is I knew too much about the subject matter. And therefore in my naivety, I um, isolated myself and isolated other people and didn't listen to other people's views, recognizing everybody's value in the teams. And um, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, almost to the point where having too much knowledge, knowing too much could almost be a little bit of a hindrance in a way. Um, and then in your second point, you know, organizations definitely are becoming more flatter and the uh, onus of being able to lead is just, it's just almost a way of act of kindness. It's an act of supporting your peers it's an act of just being able to help and and get along do you think that's right i think those are certainly elements of it and i want to come back to something that you said earlier what i see often with junior managers who are then coming into middle management is they've got there based on their technical competence so if you look at kind of a, a an 80 20 split 80 percent of their time was spent doing what they do best, which was their technical expertise, and 20% was on communication and influencing others. But then when you get into middle and senior management, you see those ratios change. So that by the time you get to senior leadership, you know, it's, it's less about what you're able to do yourself technically, and much more about what you can do in terms of setting vision, being clear about what the end goal is, creating alignment, making sure that there's a duplication of ideas, uh, harnessing the creativity and the insight of those you work with. And it's not to say that your technical expertise is no longer important, of course it is. But it's now not up to you alone to achieve something. It's now your ability to lead others to get that job done and to replicate that. And I think, again, that's where the exponential effect comes in. I, in the book, Michael, I give a couple of metaphors here. Um, the one is that if you think about, for example, some research that was done by, by Stephen Morris, um, 
in the University of Toronto. He took a, a, a domino stack. Um, and the first domino, um, if you can imagine this, um, was was relatively small. It was five millimeters high and one millimeter thick. So very, very tiny. And then he took a domino, um, which was uh, one and a half times its size, and he replicated that. And so by the time he got to the 13th domino, it weighed almost 50 kilograms, and it was a meter tall. So if you can imagine the first one, five millimeters high, one millimeter thick, the 13th one, 50 kilograms weight, a meter high, that small domino was able to, as it tipped over the others, eventually uh, knock over that very large one. And so he showed that progressively, you know, 29 times um, these larger dominoes could eventually topple something uh, the height of the Empire State Building. And I think that's a great metaphor, Michael, for what we're talking about, that often we second guess our small act, our small decision making, the small part we play in the overall organizational dynamic. But a good leader will create line of sight and will explain to you, Michael, how what you're doing at a very operational level, at what might seem relatively insignificant, when that is scaled, can actually have far-reaching effects across the organization. And I think that's a critical part of what leaders need to be able to do. That, that metaphor is absolutely fantastic. And I see where the exponential comes from now. You can almost see that, you know, getting exponentially bigger uh, as, as, right. as the dominoes get larger. And I think that's a really good analogy of, um, of how the small bits, the, almost the day-to-day -day bits, you know, they're like the checking, you know, as a leader, you, checking in and checking on on your peers and making sure they're okay uh, even sometimes just lending an ear um even just the act of making a cup of coffee making a tea these sort of things helping people to sort of feel engaged with whatever it is whatever the task is that you're doing um and also just listening appreciating their value and their input supposed to being closed off to it even if no matter how small that is as you can say it it has an exponential effect. So I can see how that works. Yeah, and I was challenged by a mathematician to say, well, Andy, are you using this literally? And of course I'm not. Mm. You know, we're using it as a metaphor. But I think, let me also say, Michael, it works in reverse. That if you are not doing these things, if you're not creating psychological safety, if you're not reaching out and casting vision and making sure that people are clear about what's going on, then the exponential effect can be exponentially disastrous. Um, and so that's why in the book, I start by talking about self-leadership, character, purpose, uh, these deep questions that we need to be able to answer for ourselves. Because I make the point that if you can't lead yourself, how can you ever lead others? And many failures of leadership are often expressed at an organizational level, but they start with failures of self, failures of character, failures of purpose, failures of identity. So um, yeah, it's a tall order to want to be a leader, um, but I do think that if we can start with the self and the question of who am I, that you know my identity is not linked to what I do, but it's based on a, a secure understanding of who I am and you know that I can I don't necessarily think I need to lose my ego, but I need to be secure in my identity so that my ego is not wrapped up in being self-serving and seeing my position as an opportunity for everybody else to bow down to me. 
but that ultimately my ego as a leader is tied to the idea that I'm here to serve. And so the notion of servant leadership, I think, becomes really important in the day and age in which we work. It's, it's just almost scary that what, what, what you're saying is this is exactly the route and path that I've gone in terms of learning and developing myself. I mean, I think when I realized as, as a leader that it wasn't going so well and I needed to uh, learn and become better, was looking inwards at myself and looking, um, I'm, I, I haven't got the skills, I'm equipped in order how to deal with this. And um, so um, that's when I started, I needed to go and find find that information. It was very much self-leadership. You know, I enrolled in pre-open university courses. I enrolled, uh, you know, read books and uh, watched YouTube videos. And um, certainly that started that journey. Um, but I think talking with people like yourself and being able to share that to everybody else that may listen or watch the podcast um, is is extremely helpful getting experience from other people uh listening to experiences is uh, you know helpful um and i think you're right i think it starts with self-leadership um and um so just about your book then you know you say you start with self-leadership is there um a series of things you do about self-leadership and leadership of a team how is it constructed yes. so four parts 12 chapters uh, about 140 references. So what I tried to do, Michael, is navigate a strong academic piece that would hold rigor, you know, uh, on the MBA programs that I teach. But I also wanted to be approachable for somebody who, when we could still travel, you know, is walking through an airport, sees it in a bookshop, picks it up and goes, this is an interesting and compelling read because the stories and the narratives are informative and entertaining. So I start in the book with this whole idea of leading self. And I look at three ideas. The first one is character. Um, the second one is purpose. And the third one is resilience. I could have chosen probably three or four others to talk about self-leadership, but I wanted to open the discussion with this deep idea of self-reflection. On the character piece, Michael, I use a metaphor of, of a diamond. You know, a diamond, and, and it's very apt being here in South Africa, uh, where diamonds are still one of our, our big exports. But if you take a diamond and you polish that thing, um, the diamond is, is the, it creates confidence in terms of its intrinsic value through a couple of things, the cut, uh, the color, the clarity, um, and, and those all lend some degree of confidence in the mind of the, uh, of the jeweler as far as this, this gemstone. And I think character is very similar, that when we think about character as a leader, it would have a number of different facets. And so I invite the reader to come on a journey with me where at the end of each chapter, we have questions for self-reflection. And in the character piece, I ask questions about identity. You know, who am I? Uh, who am I afraid that I'm not? Who am I comparing myself to? Um, because I think often as leaders that, that uh, imposter syndrome can be something that we we struggle with i'm not good enough i'm not qualified enough i don't have enough skills i'm not like so and so and therefore because i'm not like so and so i can't lead but i think really healthy leaders are secure in their own identity and they're not uh, compelled to fall into that trap of comparison i also think leadership character is about integrity and integrity for me has a moral equivalent to it 
So it's more than just doing what you say you will do, but it's about doing what is right. Um, I also talk, talk about character as intent. And I think this is important in, in the new world of work, Michael, is when somebody reaches out to you and asks for your support or advice or input, what is their intent? You know, is Andy out to get you? Is he looking to set you up for failure? Or in this virtual world, can we take risk to assume positive intent? That even though we don't know each other, and even though I'm sitting in South Africa and you're sitting in Lincolnshire, very quickly, because we've got a sense of being on the same page and having similar goals, the intent is mutual, the intent is shared. And so there isn't that um, historical uh, social cohesion that we would have had in terms of getting to know each other, but there's just that willingness to give ourselves to the relationship and to assume that we, we have positive intent with each other. Um, I also think that character largely has to do with recognizing that from the point of view of the facets of character, not only do you want identity and integrity, um, but you also need to recognize that from a, a leadership point of view, it is about initiative. It's about getting things done. And then I also suggest that it's about insight, leadership insight. So I need to have self-awareness as a leader. I need to have social awareness, aware of the people I'm looking to, awareness of the people I'm looking to lead. And I think very importantly, a leader also needs situational awareness. So one of the frameworks that we use, Michael, and, and I do try and run a, a, a parallel between good leadership frameworks and good examples, but one of those is something you may have heard of called the, the VUCA model, V-U-C-A. It's, it's something that's been uh, bandied about certainly over the last 12 months. And it simply says that, you know, in a world that is increasingly volatile, V, U, uncertain, C, complex, and A, ambiguous, um, we need leadership that can navigate that. So back to your first question, what is the most important characteristic of leadership? Well, I would say it would need to be a leader that can navigate volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And when that framework was put out as an adaptive leadership response, that same VUCA was described as a VUCA negative, which is what I've just given you, and then the VUCA positive. So where we have volatility, the V becomes vision. Where we have uncertainty, the U becomes understanding. Where we have complexity, the C becomes clarity. And where we have the uh, ambiguity, the A becomes agility. So moving the mindset from VUCA negative to VUCA positive, and each of those, the, the vision, the understanding, the clarity, and the agility, uh, I think would be important elements to have in your leadership arsenal. But, but then I began to think about what's happened to us globally over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. And I make the suggestion in the book that maybe we could rethink that framework from VUCA to VUCAR. So I'm, I'm adding an R on the end there. So now it becomes volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, and recurrency. Uh, this idea that as we talk to each other today, we're both in lockdown. Nobody really knows, Michael, how long this situation will go on, how long you will have to continue homeschooling your little man how long we will face the challenges of social distancing, you know, uh, and, and what it will take to get this vaccine rollout 
So all of that has a knock-on effect in terms of recurrency. And I don't know about you, Michael, but I'm finding as I work with family and friends and colleagues, one of the most difficult parts about what we're facing is the unknown factor of how long this will go on for. It's almost as if, if, if I could say to you, listen, 28th of February, we're done. Or even 28th of February, 2023, we're done. We might go, gosh, you know, that sounds like a long time, but at least there is an end in mind. The problem is none of us, even the most skilled epidemiologists, can tell us how long this will take. So there is an element of recurrency, VUCA negative. I think the VUCA positive then is the resilience. And so I write a whole chapter in this leadership book, The Exponential Effect, on what is resilience, what is leadership resilience, how do we create that? How do we develop it? Uh, I argue that it's a skill that can be acquired and nurtured and developed. And certainly, I think most leaders now who are going to continue to have significant influence will need to have self-resilience, will need to be able to help their team develop resilience, and certainly will need to have organizational or business resilience um, to try and get through uh, however long this thing goes on for. So I think that, again, talks into your first question, Mike. So, I mean, all of this is absolutely fantastic stuff. I mean, I wish I had all this at the start of my journey because I probably would have got through a lot of this a lot quicker. Um, but I've certainly been through all those um, cycles you talk about of self-reflection, um, identity, um, imposter syndrome, things like that, uh, embarrassment. You know, because I didn't know what I was doing, I felt embarrassed. And I'll say, when I when I needed support, I didn't go to my company and my directors, not because um, I didn't think they could help or I think I'd be ridiculed, but because I was just sort of embarrassed that I didn't know what I was doing. You know, and I think that's I probably knew a lot more than I thought, but at the time I thought I knew nothing. This is just embarrassing. Um, so I went to my dad instead a safe place where I could feel a bit vulnerable and not get ridiculed and, and not get um, um, shamed and I could just get support. And, uh, but if I had gone to my company, I'm sure I would have got that. Um, and I think the environment is hugely important um, that you can, when you're self-reflecting, when you're asking, who am I? You have to be a little bit vulnerable. You have to be a little bit self-critical to really sort of understand um, how you impact on other people, how you make other people feel, and how that affects the task that you're trying to deal with, the, the, the thing you're trying to do. So that's amazing stuff that you, you've just really laid out. But the VUCA is, is, is a brilliant little concept and um, something that I've only really, I've not heard of that model before in that way, but I've heard, I've, I've definitely sort of looked at uh, and discussed with people about leadership through change and leadership through a crisis and um, this pandemic is sort of this is why your book is so relevant this is is kind of what we're going through right now and you're right recurrence and resilience um and spotting um in yourself and in your team and in your family where perhaps they're having a bad day an off day because we're going to have ups we're going to have downs and this doesn't have to be this pandemic this can just be generally on a project it could be just generally at a time you're going through some organizational change, whatever it is, whatever the change is, you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs. And um, 
I believe part of it is about being optimistic about, but it, we will get there in the future. And when we get through this in the future, we will be absolutely stronger. Do you think optimism is, is, is an essential part of being a leader? I think that leaders have to be able to understand that the future is not one, but many. Now, maybe I must explain what I mean by that. Um, leaders who are fatalistic will just assume that everything will run its course and will feel that they have no part to play. But leaders who understand that dynamic between the fact that I have a sphere of concern. So right now, I have a huge sphere of concern, as you do, Michael. You know, I'm concerned about vaccinations. I'm concerned about disease prevalence. I'm concerned about infection rates and death rates. The truth is, I have very little uh, things, I have very few things I can do to control all of that. But what is in my circle of, of, of influence is I can keep myself educated. I can see, keep myself, uh, uh, you know, sanitized. I can choose to physical distance. I can wear a mask. So I can play my part in recognizing what I can do and then be in the place of surrender with the things that I, you know, the things I can't do anything about, I release those. But coming back to this idea of optimism, I do think that leaders recognize that there is a, a probable future. There is a possible future and there is a preferred future. And if I'm working with you towards a preferred future, a future where, you know, we can, uh, we can see, um, you know, the death rates come down. We can see the infection rates come down. We can see families restored to some degree of normality. We can see um, business communities thrive again. That's the preferred future. And so as a leader, Michael, I have to ask myself, what are the steps I can take to influence that which is in my control and to help create an environment where people take uh, and another chapter in the book, personal responsibility and accountability for what they can do. You know, there's so much blaming, misinformation, conspiracy theory, uh, people throwing their hands up in the air. But if we all take personal responsibility for the things that we can do, I think that's where the optimism comes in. I'm not one who just wants to have blind faith or just to be speaking platitudes or, you know, uh, it's all going to work out. Um, I do have a very strong personal faith, but um, not just a naive optimism. And I think um, those things are different. But certainly as leaders, an ability to see a preferred future and then to begin to harness skills and expertise and resources to the degree that you can to work towards that preferred future, to me is much more preferable than just giving up and accepting the status quo, you know, and seeing everything as a fair company. Hmm. I, no, I agree with that because I think in my sort of definition of optimism, I see you're not numb or ignorant to the the current situation of things are a bit rubbish, <laughs> put it politely. Um, and there are steps to take because there's opportunities with on with all this crisis. There are opportunities, but there are steps to take to get to I guess to paraphrase yourself to get to that preferred future. And I think that's, I hold in my head that preferred future, that where we could be and where we could get to. And um, I suppose in my head, I might have those steps that I think I need to take. You talk about playing your part in this pan current pandemic, for example, of 
um, wearing masks and social distancing and staying inside, all that sort of stuff. Um, but also, you know, um, just to how can I make my team stronger? How can I help them improve on um, a certain aspect of what we do day to day? Let's pick something about um, health and safety. How can we improve that? You know, I'm sure we're pretty good at it now, but let's just have a focus on this. And th then the next step, how can we improve on this? And each step will bring us to this more preferred sort of future. Don't have control of what happens globally and what happens with all the other parts of this. But have having there's a phrase in the film Frozen 2, which is sad that I know it all too well because of my children. But, uh, you know, it's controlling what you can when there's so much going around you that you can't control. And um, taking those steps to this sort of preferred uh, future, this optimist and that, it's fine. We will get to a better place. The steps to go through to get to that. Um, but I'm with you, not a sort of blind faith that we'll just keep doing what we're doing and ignoring that it's there and then hope that it'll be okay in the future. Oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Right. It, it's actively, as you've, as you've said, um, taking those steps to, to get to that preferred future. And then there's, you said there's the possible and probable, is that right, futures? Absolutely. Yeah. So probable is, is you know, this is the trend that we're on. Um, if we do nothing, probably this, this is what we'll end up with. Uh, possible is, you know, well, there is more than one option. And then of those different possible futures, this is the preferred future. And what is my role as a leader in in navigating that and carving out uh, that preferred future for the people that I have influence uh, with and on? So I do think as a leader, understanding your part in being able to navigate that is is really important to the extent that you have influence and uh, and control. Mm. And um, the first part of uh, VUCA is, is vision, isn't it? It's exactly. It's I can see in the future that there is that space. There is that um, we are going to get to that um, golden promised land or whatever it is. But that is setting that vision as well, isn't it? Um, so that other people buy into it and believe into it. It's like okay, it's tough right now, but I believe we're going to get through this. We're going to get through to the other side. So that's the first part of VUCA, isn't it? It is, Michael, and I think the vision part does have two elements. It's that forward-looking, telescopic, you know, preferred future, but it's also, as Otto Sharma says, bending the beam of observation back upon yourself and doing some introspection in terms mm -hmm. of vision and, 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 you know, that those deep questions around my own purpose, um, which is the second chapter in the book. You know, so why are you yeah. here? Um, what is your purpose? What are you about? And so I make a strong case in the second chapter that as an authentic leader, um, you know, confidence in that principle of well-being, clarifying the essential reasons for your existence and then shaping your intentions and objectives as a leader is so important. Um, it was Viktor Frankl who said, those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. Mm. And I think right now leaders have got to find that why to live because if you can answer that question, it doesn't matter what circumstances throw at us, um, we can navigate that. Mm, and that's really good. You, part of your self-reflection and self-leadership, you talked about its purpose. And through this process that I've, this journey I've gone on, I found my purpose. And um, and in, in, in part is why I've started this podcast. It's because I want to help as many people as possible to become better leaders. That's, that's my purpose. And um, I follow a lot and read um, books from Simon Sinek. So he talks about um, uh, the infinite 
and finite games. I don't know if you've heard of those. Yeah. So I have, uh, and in fact, I referenced those in in the last chapter of the book, where if if we're leading for results, we can't just have results that are based on on the finite game. Yeah. You know, increase sales or increase yeah. profitability or even increase health and safety. Those are all good metrics to have. Metrics mm. to have, but the infinite game, mm. um, which I'm sure you know you've you've read. Um, is I think ultimately what leaders are are here for. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was going to come on to. I'm glad you said that. That's exactly what I was going to say. You talk about purpose, and it has to be in the mind of an infinite game as opposed to a finite game. Um, and you talks about having a just cause. So um, I forget Simon's uh, just cause, but mine is is you know to be in a world where everyone's led by great leaders. And I think when you have your cause that is uh, not self-serving, but servant, serving others and a purpose that really is genuinely just trying to give and to help, then you're really onto the sort of right tracks of having a, a you know, a solid purpose. Um, as you say, your finite ideas of metrics and um, that's all about business performance really, right? Um, so they're good and essential if you want to have a thriving business but not what attracts people to your business, not what attracts people to you or to your cause or to your to your team. Some, I, mean, it, I mean, you must have read it then. There's some great analogies that Simon uses about a just cause that almost you could not believe. Um, and, you know, it really helps focus your mind. Okay, why am I doing it? And it comes around um, the purpose that, um, you know, if you're leaving a company, for example, if you you leave leaders, you leave managers, you don't leave the company. But the same in reverse, you join because of the culture, because of the leaders. And um, um, throughout my career, I've done that. I have joined and left places because of people, leaders, not just that, but for other reasons. But fundamentally, the reason why I'm making the decision to move to somewhere else is because of the leaders, is because of the culture, because of the style. And the finite metrics like salary and benefits are almost secondary to me. Always important because I need to pay mortgage, I need to pay work bills and whatever, but are secondary. It's truly honest, it's all about the leader, it's all about the culture and, and um, it's truly what brings great people to organisations. Um, so, you know, purpose is, is all a big, big part of that. Having a very clear vision clear purpose um so yeah i'm glad that you said that because that's exactly what i was coming on to you know michael i've had the privilege of working with some of the top global brands around the world over the last 25 to 30 years and i've also had the privilege of facilitating many of their onboarding programs you know company mission vision and values company purpose uh, but one of the things i realized early on is that often what we do is we spend a lot of time getting people to understand company purpose and vision and values when the individuals who we're asking to embrace those principles have never answered those questions for themselves. And so I think what we're now seeing is companies going, when I've helped Michael to be clear about his purpose and his vision and his non-negotiables and his core principles, he will then bring that into the organization in a way which is much richer and much more well-defined. And I think there's plenty of evidence now, certainly in my consulting work, that when you start there, that rather than trying to sheep dip somebody into 
a corporate philosophy or a set of values, um, that you start with them. Who are you? What are you about? What gets you up in the morning? What's important to you? What are your non-negotiables? And then you explain to them what the company's about and you create that fit. I think there's a much more natural segue into ownership, into deliberate leadership, into being a um, an organizational ambassador, a brand ambassador, if you like. Um, but it starts with you, first of all, being clear about those things in your own mind. And so I think for many years, I would argue that companies have gone about that the wrong way, asking people to, you know, uh, recite the creed of the organization when the individuals have never really asked those deep questions for themselves. Uh, I'm really glad you said that because I have long suspected what you just said. I'm glad to hear this backing to that. Uh, and I, I just could not agree with you more. I mean, that makes a huge amount of sense. And and I've worked in organizations where they've got a very clear purpose, a very good, you know, clear vision, which is great. You know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it's never been asked of me before, <laughs> you know. So I'm thinking, well, yeah, it aligns, but actually I've got other passions, I've got other things. Um, and, you know, so I have, I'm very fortunate in that, in the, my journey, I've looked inwards and I've seen and I've found a purpose. I found what I'm really passionate about. And other people's passions might be completely different and I might be ridiculed for having a passion in leadership, maybe. But that's my passion. Okay, that's what I'm really interested in. That's what I, that's why I go to work more than anything else in the world is because I want to help other people to become better leaders. And you're true in what you're saying that most of the time I would argue that organizations don't ask the individuals um, what what are their values, what is their purpose, you know, what what is it, to, what world do they want to live in? And that's that's okay if, if generally they, they, they meet. Um, but what I found is actually by doing podcasts, by talking about it more myself, by telling people, this is my vision, um, you find that leaders start to say, okay, well, I'll open this door for you, you know, come in, uh, you know, help, you know, if that's your vision, if that's what you want to do, help, help us to realize that for you, you know? So um, what I would say to people is that just because your organization isn't asking of you, doesn't mean they don't care and don't want to listen. It's sometimes you might need to be a bit more vocal and, 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 and talk to that. Um, but you've got to make sure you speak to the right people in the organization. Do you think that's um, true? I think that's absolutely true. And I think as organizational leaders become more aware of the value of what we're discussing, uh, it makes sense. It's almost a no-brainer, Michael, that if I can help you to unlock your best, Michael, if I can help you to play to your strengths and your passion and your purpose, then it stands to reason that those uh, principles are going to benefit me in an organizational sense. So why would I want to keep you constrained in a pigeonhole or in a box that doesn't necessarily give you, you know, the full extent or the full expression? And I realize that it's naive to think that every job can be a completely perfect fit for everybody's individual passion and strengths. But at least if you're looking to create that job fit and that organizational fit, not just looking at technical competencies, but some of these things that you've referenced here. I think in the long term, we're going to see people who are much more fulfilled and that has to be good for them and it has to be good for the organization, I think. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we've only really covered one aspect of your book and, and unfortunately, uh, I'm saddened that we're starting to run out of time for the podcast. 
Um, but, uh, you know, it's definitely something, uh, a book that I'm going to read because, um, as I say, if I'd had at the start my journey, it probably would have fast-tracked me through a lot of that self-reflection. You know, I've taken probably over nearly two years of that. And, and and actually, it's probably a continual thing. Am I right in saying that? Self-reflection, you'll do it consistently. And as you sort of experience leadership for yourself, you've got to ask of yourself, did I handle that situation okay? Could I improve on that again in the future? So I would imagine, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that certainly that first section on self-leadership, you will refer back to time and time again at various stages of your career. Is that correct in saying that? It's absolutely correct, Michael. And I think if you're serious about growing, not just as a leader, but as a human being, you will continually go back and look to sharpen and hone and refine and redefine in some cases. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the great joys for me, even in writing this book, was to go back to many of these principles and go through that journey myself and subject myself to those questions of purpose and identity and character and then further on in you know influence and communication and trust um and alignment and you know all of those things i think which are uh, are important so in summary michael the book has 12 principles that i think might go some way to answering your question that you started with in linkedin uh, but certainly it is definitely only beginning the conversation and I hope that we will be able to do that as well and continue um, this fascinating discussion around a subject which clearly is something that you and I are both really interested in. So thanks for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. No, uh, thank you for your valuable time. And uh, sorry, where can we get the book then? I think it's on Amazon. So it's on Amazon. Um, it is available in South Africa as well, but, but best to go to Amazon, uh, Leadership, The Exponential Effect, um, Andrew J. Bruff, B-R-O-U-G-H, uh, and you'll find it there. It's available as an ebook and in paperback, and Amazon will produce it in in the country of order as well in paperback form if people want it. Yeah, I prefer paperback. I don't know why. Um, but that's so really interesting. I, I I wasn't sure about that, about whether we should go that route of making it both, you know, an ebook and paperback. But I'm really glad that we did both because you, like so many others, have said exactly that. Mm -hmm. I think it's it, it, you're always trying to tell your kids to get off technology. And then I can't sit there on a Kindle or whatever trying to trying to read a book. Because if I get a book out, then kids again, this is like lead lead with example. If you get a book out yeah. and you're reading a book, um, they they just go and do it. My kids, I mean, they didn't get it from me, but they love reading and they're just going to grab a book <laughs> and just read it. Um, but the more they see their parents doing that, I think the more they'll do that. So the more I get a Kindle exactly. out, the more they're just gonna get out a game or something like that. So I do believe I prefer much prefer paperback, absolutely. Um Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, um, you know, I think we could we could talk for hours and maybe um, in some time, maybe we can go through some of those other sections of your book, you know, once I've uh, finished reading it. And, uh, that would be an absolute privilege, yeah. Just yeah, uh, let me know series. when you want to do that. Yeah, yeah great. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for your time and uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. Talk to you soon. Cheers.